The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, hi, thank you. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and thank you for joining us today, joining us at The Visual Workplace, the workplace that speaks. And each week, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work, and we do that through visual devices and clusters of visual devices that we call visual mini-systems. We install the language of our current operational system. As much as we understand it, we install it into the physical work environment through devices. We make that very concrete, very specific, so that we can literally see how we think and predict how we will perform, how that thinking, the details of that thinking will function, because we've captured it in the devices. And why do we bother? We bother for the incredible bottom line benefits Improved safety, better quality, more aligned delivery time, shrinking costs. It doesn't matter if you work in a factory, a healthcare center, an open pit mine, an office. Your workplace is infused with information, but sometimes you can't get to it. And when you do, everything changes. These bottom line benefits. Whatever your KPIs are, they will improve through visuality. You also get a splendid work culture, a culture of continuous improvement, a spirited and engaged workforce, but not just on the operator level. Supervisors, managers, they all have a voice. They all have a part of the visual workplace of turning their work, their information into devices on all levels, CEOs, boardroom, field reps, marketing, purchasing, engineering, of course. And the third reason that we love the visual workplace and want one is so we can enjoy ourselves at work, so we can flow. Because when we flow, the flow brings other things to us. When we work without struggle, that lack of struggle struggle means that part of us relaxes. An inside part, a very important part, and a, a window opens a a certain level of margin, a band of margin that allows us to think and to think differently. Yes, we become better improvement thinkers and better visual thinkers, but we also become better people, better humans. Because we have a workplace that is working with us as a partner instead of fighting us every inch of the way. (laughs) So welcome, welcome 
Welcome back. I'm really happy to be talking to you today. We're going to get into our our discussion of the invisible enemy after just a few quick, quick announcements. I'm going to be doing visual displays in Minnesota. Visual displays, it's called Visual Scheduling and Visual Display Boards. It's a very, very important methodology for supervisors to give them a voice, but not just a voice for the minutiae of their work, because there is a lot of detail, but also a way for them to get on board with continuous improvement. Only they're improving the informational landscape of their work, which is the line of work, which is your processes, which is what they oversee. So this is a really, really important tool. Like many things in visuality, it is not acutely understood. It is under under understood, underrated. But if you do these visual displays and visual scheduling boards correctly, they become the world in which your supervisors and managers can engage directly in improving their own contribution, really by, by improving the contribution of others, which is their work. And I'll be going to Mexico for a whole week, sometime in October, and Nova Scotia uh, at the end of October, so I'm quite excited. I will be in Australia next end of March, April for an entire month. Uh, doing many, many uh, work workshops and seminars. I always like that, to be able to go around. I think we're doing maybe five cities, Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, and someplace in um, New Zealand. There's a couple of other ones. I, I believe they have maybe Brisbane. It's a great country, and you'll uh, learn more about it. And I want to say, in October, we're going to have a special guest whom I'm interviewing. I'm really thrilled. It's taken me a whole year to organize this. I'm really thrilled. We'll do a follow-up interview, and that's all I'm going to say right now. I want to encourage you to listen to the podcast of the show. We have a beautiful, searchable podcast library. Thank you, Horatio Fairburn, our brilliant tech manager. We have It's completely searchable. It isn't just a list. You can look for topics. You can look for taglines. We also have a completely searchable library of my articles that I write every week for the Visual Thinker, our newsletter. I therefore want to encourage you to become a member so you get information about these things free. We only send one mailing out a week. We don't drown you. We send the newsletter. You read it. It's got some really, really cool um, visual fails and visual triumphs done by our amazing communications VP and editor of our newsletter, Cindy Linden. Her work is fantastic. I want to also encourage you to look at the video gallery on our homepage, visualworkplace.com, which has six or seven or eight video, video clips that teach. You can use them for teaching your group. It's fine. It's free. It'll give you a sense of the work and the quality of our work, even though the video mechanism doesn't show crisp and clean you'll understand that we are really into visuality, into color, into teaching the adult. I want to encourage you also to get our online training system for operator-led visuality. It's a bargain, and it is fabulous, fabulous teaching. It's completely navigatable, and it's in small 10, 15-minute segments. So you can pick and choose, but we also like the whole system as well. So please get visual. 
You'll need material. You'll need no lear- new learning. There's no question about it. You have to learn the technology of thinking visually. But we, that's what our job is, to provide you good stuff. So we're going to begin today. Now, last week, this is a series. We're going to do three or four, I'm imagining. I have it pretty much mapped out. Last week, we began our conversation about problems in the workplace. And that was kind of like um, a starting point. I presented a model that my sensei taught me in the 1980s. It's called the four workplace conditions. But the big understanding from last week was that all problems fall into three categories, just three. And those three are matched with a fourth category that is problem-free. And we developed a ladder. Some people call it a typology, a classification system. So the problem-free state is called the ideal state. But what's more important is the way it's described. I'm just going to review this and then we'll launch today. You can listen to last week if you want more. It's the problem-free, the ideal state, but it's defined. It doesn't just say it's the ideal state. It says the right method is known. It is fully understood by everyone, and it is fully practiced by everyone. That's the ideal state. We know what to do. We know how to do it. We understand it, and we do it. No drops, no wiggles. Problem-free ideal state. The second one is the method is known, but some people don't understand it fully, and therefore they can't practice it fully. And we call that a communications problem. They don't understand, so they can't do it. Problem in communications, and that's the only way we define a communications problem. It's not just this catch-all. The third is the problem, the, I beg your pardon, I beg your pardon, the right method is known and it is completely understood by everyone, but some people don't practice it fully. They, they understand, but they just can't do it for some reason or another. That's a different kind of problem. That's not a communications problem. That's a problem in adherence. And, of course, in both communications and adherence, visuality is your tool of choice. But you have to notice that differentiation first. And the third category of problems, remember there's three categories of problem and then the ideal state, the four workplace conditions, is the right method is not known. We just don't know how to do it. So it's not a question of are people understanding and are they practicing it. We simply don't know. And this is a challenge in research and development, perhaps standardization. So that's what we talked about last week, the four workplace conditions. It's a sophisticated, pretty sophisticated model. It's well formulated. It's testable. You can pull metrics out of it. It's useful. It's clear. But we need to backtrack We need to enter the work landscape and look around and say something like, oh, without that fancy ladder of workplace conditions, what are we left with? And when we look, and we do look with a knowing eye, we don't just glance, we look and look deeply. We enter into a landscape where there is a big problem. It is the problem of problems and it is hidden. And yet it is as big as an elephant. We cannot see it, 
but it's the elephant in the room. It is the invisible enemy that we cannot see because in a literal sense, and I mean this literally, it is not there. It isn't there, but because it isn't there, that's the problem. So we're going to launch into today. We've just launched into today. That there is an invisible enemy. It isn't there, but it's big. So we look for its shadow. We look for some trace, some footprint, some proof that it exists. And proof is important because if we don't discover the footprint, we won't know the enemy is there and it will continue to eat us alive. This is the kind of problem that eats companies alive and the companies don't even know it. They are scurrying around, (laughs) solving not the problem. They'll work, 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 tools, 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 but they're not solving the problem. So we have to find its trace because if we don't, we won't realize that it exists and the enemy will continue to eat us alive. Remember that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Predator? In some ways, it was even more terrifying than Ridley Scott's Alien. The Predator, this creature that became invisible and just waited and lurked. And you're going about your day or you're hunting for him the way Schwarzenegger did. And he eats you. He jumps on you. You're gone. He was some kind of alien himself. He had these magic powers. You couldn't see him. And he would get us. It was a great movie. And Arnold won. and And he did it in a very clever way. No, I want to change that. He did it in the only way he could. He encountered this enemy on the ground in the dimension of the enemy. And yet he was just an earthling like us. And he stumbled. He was clever enough to stumble upon the answer. I should say stumble into it. I don't want to give anything away. But he had the brain enough to realize, oh my gosh, I can use this. I stumbled into this. And I can use it to get the predator. And he did. He did. It was a great movie. (laughs) I like Arnold so much. I like him as a movie star. Politician, you know, it's a second Don't give up your day job, Arnold. (laughs) I like it very much. The invisible enemy. Can you name it? There is an enemy in your company and it is invisible. You can't see it because it literally is not there. Let's pick this up after our first break. I know that you are hanging at the end of your seat wondering, what can it be? Please come back. I'll be here. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. 
Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, and you are at The Visual Workplace where we learn about how to make the workplace speak and why it's important. And today we're talking about the invisible enemy. And I asked you just before the break, can you name it? Because its impact is massive on every level of the enterprise, from the boardroom to marketing to operations to the field staff. And the only way we even have the smallest chance of finding it and destroying that son of a gun is by focusing on what it causes, its footprint. So let's first name the enemy, and then I'll name its footprint. Well, I'll name its footprint so that you understand. Its footprint is called struggle. Struggle. I have a technical name for it called motion, moving without working. Motion. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But that's the footprint. When we're struggling, the enemy is afoot. And what is that enemy? The enemy is information deficits. The enemy is missing information. That's why I can say the enemy is invisible. You can't see it because it is literally not there. Because information is missing from the workplace, we struggle. But let me expand missing so you don't paint everything with the same brush. The information could be also incomplete. You could have partial information or imprecise and therefore maybe misleading. Or the information might be late or too late or simply wrong or simply not available. I do not know. And I cannot know because the information isn't there. It might be there because, as we were saying earlier, no one had yet found it, researched it, and made it into either a spec or a method. That's the problem of when the right method is not known. But it could be not there because... I'm here and the information is in your brain and you're over there. You're my supervisor or it's in a binder in the engineering office or it's in someone's, someone else's notes or it's just word of mouth. Somebody picked up the telephone and told my boss something and he's got to pass it on to me so I can adjust my work completely. It's not there. What visuality does, of course, is embed these answers. 
iteration after iteration, cycle after cycle, we eat away at this elephant. And we take all these informational tidbits that are just floating around. And if you're lucky, you'll get the right one floating your way. And we make it part of the living landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems. Missing answers. This is rampant in the workplace. It doesn't matter if you're in a hospital, an office, a government agency, or a factory. And I'm not referring to the kinds of answers we get as customers from, for example, the DMV or IRS or Social Security. That's a different category of answer. The missing answers that are under discussion now are the ones that we need in order to do our work. In order to understand, in order to follow, comply, we need that information as our platform, so we use it as a basis for our work. And you know what happens when we have a reliable informational platform? And as we learn to think visually and notice the footprint, the motion, we begin to see the gap. The gap in our own work, our own performance between what is supposed to happen and what does happen. We see us executing standards, technical and procedural standards. When the, in, when the informational landscape is made physical through visual devices, otherwise we're just a little cork on our stormy sea. 300 little corks, 1,500 little corks. I think the largest factory I've ever been in has been 3,000 people. Help us, please. 3,000 corks on a stormy sea. And these little corks are going after something that has not yet been made tangible by you, by management, by the company. The company has not yet decided to go visual. And because they're missing, we can't see them. And we learn, we learn to see their impact, their footprint. This is part of visual thinking. We learn to see motion, and we name it as motion. Let me go off on a little aside now. Motion is the way that we know the information is missing because we see the behavior that's triggered by that missing information. I used very broad term before. We see ourselves struggle. But if we look, if we look down the causal chain, we'll say, we'll see that we're struggling because the information is missing. And we're either looking for someone or we're looking into something or we're wondering or we're wandering or we're simply moving ahead and making mistakes. Motion. The mistake is a signal. If you want a behavioral model that changes people's behavior so that it can align with your technical and procedural standards, visuality is it. There's some other it's I'll mention in a moment. But let's talk about motion for a moment. Motion is one of the seven deadly wastes. It's defined as moving without working. Work is moving and adding value. Therefore, when we're in motion, we're moving and not adding value. And Taiichi Ono came up with the term. He was the co-architect with Shigeo Shingo 
of the Toyota production system back in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. We found out about it in the 80s. He really began in the 1950s, Taichi Ono. He was this mega brain, and Shingo was his equal. Anyway, Ono named motion as a waste because he saw that while the machine was cycling, the machine operator wasn't doing anything, and it really annoyed him. I had the pleasure of meeting Ono many, many years ago. He was annoyed at the machine cycling, doing all the work, and the operator just watching it. It's sort of like watching the um, dryer go around. You just go to when you go to a laundromat. I spent a number of years in laundromats in my youth when I was out on my own and I watched the dryer go around and around and around. I wasn't doing anything. I was just waiting. Well, Ono called it motion and I've, I used that. I picked it up when I wrote my book, Visual Systems, in the 1990s. I wanted a measurement device, a yardstick, by which we could assess the need for workplace visuality and motion moving without working fit the bill perfectly because that's exactly what happens when needed information is missing at work. People are busy, but they're not working. They're searching and wandering and guessing and counting and counting again, two forms of motion. They're asking questions. They're answering questions. They're interrupting, being interrupted. And the great catch-all, they're waiting, waiting for answers that may come, but only maybe. Lethal. Lethal for work. You cannot achieve repeatability You cannot achieve flow. You can't achieve quality. Information deficits don't just cause motion. They make it contagious. They make motion an illness. I'm missing information, so I interrupt you to see if you can supply it. And you, ever polite and helpful, apologize because you don't know, but you go the extra step to interrupt your coworker and you ask her, and she doesn't know either. But she volunteers to make a phone call to check with a friend in another department, and the beat goes on. The disease spreads. The interruptions continued, untracked, untracked, and unnoticed. And the cost caused by the invisible enemy swells. Missing answers rule the non-visual workplace. And it's tricky because you can't see it. You go to your boss and you say, boss, boss, we need to learn how to think visually so that we can learn how to embed information into the living landscape of work. And your boss says, well, what's the problem? Well, the information isn't there. Well, what's the problem? Well, the information isn't there. Well, show me the problem. It can be shown, of course. But it kind of stops us in our track. Well, I'm telling you that I'm struggling because of something that isn't there. Well, stop struggling. That's usually the solution. Stop struggling. What can I do to help you stop your struggle? Could you give me the visual workplace, please? Did you know... By the way, that it takes us 8 to 10 minutes to recover from an interruption, any interruption, no matter how long or short. To recover doesn't mean to merely get back to the task at hand. To recover means to get back to the level of focused attention you had before the interruption. 
And some of us get interrupted continuously so often that we're convinced that answering questions is our job, whether we like it or not. In some companies, we are called supervisors, foreman, the lead. It's part of my job. I answer questions. You fill the gap. But think of it. What would happen if the answers to the questions that you are constantly asked or asking resided instead in the work environment itself as visual devices? The answers were there because you made it so. You're the visual thinker. You put those answers in place in the form of devices and you pull those answers to you when and as you need them. What would happen if that part of your day evaporated because it's simply the invisible enemy had been destroyed? What would change for you if missing answers were removed from your work? By implementing visual workplace principles and practices, what would change in you? Who would you become without that struggle? And what would happen to your company and your colleagues and coworkers if struggle was an old-fashioned and outdated and disappeared idea? Hmm? These are important questions. So let's slide into our next break. And when you come back, I want to take a little aside, talk about the elephant again from a different angle, probably turn it around, <laughs> look at it a different way. I'll be here when you get back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. We're in the third part of our show today. And I want to invite you as we begin this next segment to visit us at visualworkplace.com. There's lots and lots of information to educate yourself 
on visuality, videos and podcasts and articles. And if you want to go further, then we have the materials and the, the learning systems that you need for that as well. But first, get acquainted with the field. So you can kind of track what I'm saying here about the invisible enemy and about its footprint. Before we go on to that, though, I mentioned that I want to make another point. It's a big point. (laughs) And this is under the elephant. (laughs) There's a big point and it's sitting under the elephant. Ouch on both counts for the elephant and for the point. Ouch. (laughs) There is another danger about not seeing missing information in the workplace, not recognizing that missing answers are a formidable enemy. And that problem is we attempt to resolve, remedy the problems that come out of missing information with practices, remedies that don't work that cannot work. For example, if we turn to lean to solve our problems in missing information, we are asking for an ally that is not capable of helping us. And that is because lean, and here, as you know, if you've been listening to me even a few times, you know that I adopt the classic definition of lean. It is about driving time out of work or, if you will, driving space. It is about shrinking the time and the space footprint. That's what we do when we develop standard work and we organize a process around it. We are squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. The problem or the condition that we are attacking through lean is not informational. It is about time. It is about speed. It is about space. Lean is not designed to attack missing information. Things get so much better with lean. It's fabulous, but it will not help you with your informational landscape. It will, I will say, it will help you a little, of course. It clarifies. But if there are drops, lean is not equipped to find them. The precision with which visual thinking attacks what lean leaves behind gives us some measure to understand that lean is incomplete by itself. Lean erodes in three to five years. No matter how brilliant your lean conversion was, it will not stick. It's only a matter of time if it is not anchored in an intentional and designed and dynamic visual landscape, an informational landscape. There's nothing to hold it. All that... All those things, all those procedures that bind lean is information. All of them is information. All work is about information. The translation of information into behavior is what work is. We translate information, our specs and our SOPs, into behavior. 
we execute, that's work, that's outcome, that's product, that's our company. Lean forces that into place by identifying standard work and realigning processes to that standard work and therefore we get the component of time. But it doesn't address the informational landscape. It doesn't even notice information as a component of its change or its success. It's okay. We are not all things. That is why the relationship between visual and lean is so powerful. Two wings of a bird. A powerful alliance. Which wing is more important? Bad question. Similarly, let's look at continuous improvement. Another really great element in your operational strategy Kaizen, CI, continuous improvement, improvement thinking, so valuable. But look closely, and you'll see that continuous improvement is a generalist tool. It is not designed to sink deep into the causal chain. It does not target anything in particular. It is drawn into action by problems. It is foundational, but it is also generic. So you can use it for anything and everything. But it is not designed to attack a weak informational landscape, which I am saying is an epidemic everywhere and it's invisible because the enemy can't be seen because the enemy is missing answers. CI doesn't teach information deficits, although I wish it would. It teaches a kind of everyday, everywhere, everyone problem solving. Hooray for that. We're not taking anything away from lean. We're not taking anything away from continuous improvement. They just are not addressing this elephant. And Six Sigma is at the is on the same road as CI, but the same spectrum, but it's at the deep end. Problem solving through Demaic, which is the what their their name for Six Sigma's name for the step by step process, attacks the chronic, the costly, and the complex. Totally important. So we're not taking anything away from Lean, Six Sigma, or CI, but we're saying none of these address the informational landscape. And I have another purpose for mentioning this here And it isn't just to place visual amongst its peers, its colleagues. But it's to say, if you don't know, recognize, understand that there is an elephant in the room that is missing information, you won't seek a solution. I've been in this field since 1983. That's pushing 35 years And I know what you know. Visual workplace technologies are still all but unknown. The visual workplace as a paradigm is under-understood. Under-understood. People don't see it. (laughs) I've been banging this drum forever. And I'm saying, don't you see it? Don't you see it? And they say, you know what? We don't see it. Well, I know that. That's the problem. They don't see it. And if they don't see that visuality has this great power to embed information, they will keep, you will keep solving your problems in a way that 
doesn't solve them. It patches them through. Lately, there's been a lot of discussion about visual management that's become popular, but it exists, unfortunately, not on a thinking level, but on a tool level. If you want visual management in place, you're going to have an array of devices. You're going to have dashboards, and you're going to have announcements, and you're going to have color coding, and you're going to have this cherry-picked array, but there's no thinking. You won't be able to, if you are faced with it, solve a problem through visual management because you you don't even know how to diagnose the problem. You have no lever. Motion is the lever. It's not part of the visual management paradigm. That's why I put visual management as a subset of visual workplace so that visual thinking can cover that as well, can blanket that as well. Okay, it's the question of the thinking supports the outcome. In visuality, the approach is on the level of principles and practices. The tools are the outcome. This is the question of the tools are the fish. Where is the fisherman? We've got the fish. How do we get more fish? Well, where are the fishermen? They know how to fish. Where are your visual thinkers? Okay. So I'm mentioning that it's really an important discussion. The invisible enemy is powerful in that way as well. It keeps us from recognizing that lean CI continuous improvement and Six Sigma won't solve this particular type of problem called information deficits. It isn't geared to. Okay, so now let's return to our previous rift where we're talking about what happens when information is not available, when this enemy begins, enters our workplace. And he's been there from the beginning because the work landscape of 100 years ago used to be, I'm going to give you money, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to show up, and you're going to do what I tell you to. I know you don't. Your job depends on me. And all of that has shifted over the last 35 years. It's beautiful. It is such a revolution. And it is so unbelievably exciting to witness it and to be part of it because if you're listening you're part of it you're a thinking part of it and a growing part of it what happens when so we're shifting we're shifting back now (laughs) to this problem what happens when information is not available when and as you need it what happens when you discover despite your fervent hopes and efforts to the contrary, that most of the information that is available is unreliable, incomplete, late, or just plain wrong. (laughs) What happens to you? What happens to us on the outside? What happens on the inside? What happens to a workforce that is faced with that as the rule, not the exception? It's struggle all the time. And people get angry and combative. Or numb and indifferent. That's us. We do. Instead of engaging in our work and developing ways to make a contribution and a better contribution, we do just the opposite. We disassociate from the company. We even disown it. 
we circle the wagons and we say no. We say no. Because we all know this. We learned it in the 1960s and it is brought home to us every day, especially in this day and this age. Information is power. And if you withhold it from me, this is an act of disempowerment. You are taking power away by not sharing. This is what's going on today. We are living in sometimes, sometimes. So, <clears throat> so we're going to take our little break now. And we will return to the last segment of our show. And we will continue this discussion next week when I give it some hands and legs. I'll see you in a minute. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. I'm really glad you're joining us. I'm really glad we're participating in this discussion about the visual workplace and kind of getting down to in this show, what is it about fundamentally? What are we trying to do in a visual workplace? I beg your pardon. What are we trying to do? in a workplace that makes it have to be visual in order for it to be operationally excellent, or at least a part of that journey to operational excellence. Why bother? Everything's pretty good here. Why do I have to get visual? Because there's an elephant in the room, and that elephant is eating us alive. So there's a gorilla, there's a predator. It's an unhappy elephant. It's stomping all over us. And we don't even know it until the foot has come down and we're knocked for a whack. We are reframing the so-called problem of communication. Because that's every company's complaint. Right at the top of the list. The problem around here is that we are not communicating. We have to improve our communication. 
And when we think like that, we go after the wrong solution. I've quoted a couple of times George Bernard Shaw, this famous Irish playwright with a long white beard who looks kind of like a very elegant Santa Claus. He said it to us straight. What a brilliant guy. He was a vegetarian. I loved what he said. He said, I don't eat my friends. <laughs> I haven't been able to make the, uh, the switch, but I'll tell you, all I have to do is keep repeating that and looking at my lovely, my lovely cat, Merlin, and say to myself, you know what? I got to change my ways. I'm getting closer, but I'm not there yet. But he also said this, getting back to our point. He also said this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I've said this before to you. The illusion that it's taken place. Just because you say it doesn't mean I hear it. Just because you say it doesn't mean I understand it. Just because you say it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. If you're old enough, like me, you learned. You learned about information in the 1960s. That's when the revolution exploded. And by the way, it's still playing itself out. We liberate information. Let's liberate information because information is power. And when we liberate information, we liberate the human will. We liberate the human will. Information is power. We learn that. We know it. And if you don't allow me to access the information I need when I need it, if I had to depend on you as the person who holds that information, you've taken power away from me. It is my God-given right, this is what's happening today, to know, to know what you know. You can have as many cars and yachts and houses as you like, but information must be shared. That is the great wealth. That is the great wealth. Now, going through a phase of, in my opinion, just a little bit too much information, <laughs> but that'll sort itself out in the next 20 or 30 years. It's hardly even amusing to watch. It's, the whole thing is pretty painful. But, you know, we're in the middle of a seismic change. We're in the middle of the big turnabout. Things are changing. All the stuff that we're in, that's in our society is coming to the surface. And it's going to be addressed. And we'll come out the other end and we'll be stronger and more, more refined. Things will be better. But we're in the middle. We're in the waste of the hourglass, in the middle of the storm, and not the quiet middle either. So when we liberate information, we liberate the human will. And that is, by the way, one of the primary purposes of the visual workplace. Yes, you'll get 10 to 30 percent, 15 to 30 percent increase in productivity. You will, you will, you will. That's how widespread this enemy is. You have no idea what your real numbers are. If you can get a 15% increase in productivity, that means there's 15% struggle right now due to information deficits on your floor, in your work area, in your hospital. Liberate it. But when you do, you get these cultural benefits. When you liberate otherwise hidden or secret information, or secret information, 
you liberate the power that is in each of us, the power of our will. And only a liberated will can choose to align with a corporate intent. Everything else is, what you call it, perhaps slavery is too strong a word, and it's not a popular word. Indentured servitude, perhaps. I do it because I have to. I have a mortgage to pay. But a liberated will can choose to align with the corporate intent and almost always will. Anything else, anything else is closer to coercion. The looming mortgage. So, we will continue our discussion about the power of the enemy and our power to conquer it over the next few episodes. You know I took the summer off. I'm working on several books. And I want to reconstitute uh, or reframe where we're at, reintroduce the visual workplace why and how and what's the opposite, which is what we're doing now. In the visual workplace, we are translating information, vital workplace information into visual devices. You see, it's a behavioral model because it's these devices that will then govern our behavior and our outcomes will be exact, safe, timely, correct. Visuality is a behavioral model, which if you are on the kind of inside of the psychology of the workplace, is finally being embraced as the only model that will ensure repeatability, even in a highly complex, low-volume work environment, where repeatability the interval of repeatability seems excessively long. I again avert to the work of Stuart Bellamy at Brandt over the last 15 years. He recently left there, but he left a tremendous legacy of visual thinking. And it is very low volume, very, very high complexity. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He took the principles of visual thinking, the ones that I've been thinking, I'm sorry, the ones that, that I've been promoting, the ones that I've developed over these decades, and he used them with a vengeance. So we translate workplace information into devices, and through them, we embed the intelligence, that intelligence, into our operational system so that it is our operational system. We embed that information in the form of devices into the field of value where work happens. Visuality is about meaning and understanding, not simply seeing. Visuality creates a fullness to our engagement in work. It embeds meaning into the dynamic landscape of work. In doing so, it embeds language. These devices are the language. And therefore, we connect. The workplace communicates and we connect and we align. Move away from the notion of visuality as a useful, but nevertheless, inanimate collection of visual aids. And move towards the paradigm 
that visuality is the language of performance brought to an even more complete level. It is the language of our operational excellence. Even if you are not quite as excellent as you want to be or will be, it will capture that. And all of that is communicated broadcast clearly and specifically in a visual workplace. We see our operational vocabulary. We see our business model. Hidden in plain sight. Visual information sharing, which began to power Western businesses in the 1980s, is having a building impact to this day. And if George Bernard Shaw were alive right now, he might amend his famous statement about communication to say the single most powerful way to ensure that communication has happened is to embed information into the living landscape of work through visual devices. Let the workplace speak. Let the workplace speak. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I had a wonderful time with you today. I will see you next time. I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.